would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Romans, the New Testament. Uh, probably find it in your Bible if you have one. If you don't have a Bible, you're here and you, there's a pew Bible um, in the rack in front of you, somewhere near you. You can find the page number in the uh, order of service in the worship folder. There's also an outline of the sermon on the back of that worship folder that might help you follow along. But our passage is Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. Do you know the the television show Shark Tank? I've only watched bits and pieces, but the format is pretty simple. There there are a handful of uh, wealthy investors seated as a, a panel And before them, an inventor, entrepreneur presents an idea, a new product or a business that is worth their investment. The question is, can this hopeful entrepreneur uh, convince these skeptical investors to share his or her passion, to buy into their vision? It's not a perfect analogy to Paul in his letter to the Romans. Paul's not making a a sales pitch uh, for some idea that he came up with that may or may not be a good idea, a worthwhile investment, to, you know, presenting this to some skeptical listeners. But Paul is describing his passion. It's a passion for the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is part of his calling as a missionary and their calling as a church, these Roman believers. And we saw in the opening greeting uh, to the letter that we looked at last week, Paul immediately launches into a sweeping portrayal of the gospel, down through history, culminating in Christ, uh, moving, spreading around the globe, bringing the message of Jesus to all people according to God's plan. And this is part of what I mean by the title of this series, Glory in the Gospel. Paul is showing us the magnificence of the message of Jesus Christ, and he revels in it. We could say he glories in the gospel. And in this epic introduction, Paul has an aim if you read the end of, of this letter, chapter, end of chapter 15, verse, uh, chapter 16, it's very clear. Paul wants to, to gain the Romans' support, their investment in his ministry. He wants them to share his passion to spread the good news, and this is a passion and a partnership that we need today, a passion and a partnership in the gospel. Our text, again, is Romans 1, 8 to 17, the remainder of the opening section, but we're going to start our reading back at verse 1. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. I hope you'll follow along. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those who in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine." I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is God's word. Now, does this sound like a a guy who believes what he's talking about, who's passionate about what he is doing? And when you hear Paul's passion, when you know his aim, This is the message. Here's our theme today. A people formed by the gospel, a church, church like those in Rome, a church like us here in Mount Morris, a people formed by the gospel should have the heart of a missionary. In this sermon, we'll consider Paul's missionary heart in three dimensions. You'll see there in the headings in the outline that he is God-centered, people-oriented, and gospel-driven. God-centered, people-oriented, gospel-driven. Here we go. Part one, God-centered. This is Paul's missionary heart. We look to God in all our prayers and plans for the advance of the gospel. We look to God in all our prayers and plans for the advance of the gospel. It's easy to see uh, verses 8 to 10 are about Paul's prayers and plans. He, verse 8, he thanks God for these Roman believers. Verse 10, he asks God that he would be able to visit them. And yes, it it all has to do with the Romans, but isn't it so easy for us? We read these verses, and, it's, and all the God talk is just blah, 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 just kind of part of the wallpaper. Um, but pay attention to how God defines and directs Paul's passion. Let, let me just read verses 8 through 10 uh, for us again. First, I thank my God through Christ Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. First, Paul Paul thanks God for the Romans' faith in Christ that is widely known. I mean, no surprise there, right? I mean, a guy whose calling is to spread the gospel is glad that the gospel has reached Rome reached them specifically and uh, is, that is spreading from them to more and more people. But he could have just said, man, I, I hear you guys are doing great. I mean, you guys are awesome. Your church must be thriving. Uh, the, the word's going out all over the empire. Thumbs up. Could have said that. He also could have left his prayers in his own private personal devotions. The fact that he tells the Romans that he thanks God for their faith is meant to do a couple of things. It's meant to affirm and encourage them as believers, 
while also recognizing that God gets the glory for the good that is in them. I hope you recognize this. This is a great model for encouragement and affirmation for anyone, your, your kids, your grandkids, uh, your spouse, or a friend. Um, this is the good I see in you. Na- name it. This is the good that I see in you, and I love what is happening in your life. I thank God for what he's doing in you. It's good for any relationship, but it's crucial in ministry. Because if we make our success all about us, hey, you're doing great. We're doing, we're, we're doing a, a bang-up job here. Uh, we, if we make it about us and leave God out, it all gets corrupted by, by pride and selfish ambition. We're like, yeah, you know, I am doing pretty well. You know, we are, I think we are uh, better than average. We're, we're, we're better than those other folks. And, uh, you know, let, let's build something to, well, it's, it's just the Tower of Babel all over. You, you know that story in Genesis, right? The, the people come together and say, let's build a tower to the heavens. Let's do something big, great, magnificent. And let's, what does it say, say in, the, in Genesis 11? And we'll make a name for ourselves. And you can count on it, just like in that story. So if, if that's your project to build something for, for, to make a name for yourself, sooner or later, God is going to derail that project. It's going to come to nothing. We need the God-centered heart of this missionary. Lord, you've done this work in them, calling them to belong to Jesus, and through them, you're making yourself known to the world. Praise you, God. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in these Romans. Now, my, my first reaction to this as a pastor is to pray something like, Lord, make, make our faith more known. Strengthen the faith in our church in such a way is that, that it just... It starts to spread and people hear about what's going on at, at EFCMM. We want to say that our faith is, is proclaimed throughout the, the Sauk Valley. But, but I, that, that first may become my instinct is to say, God, make that true of us. But I have to say, and I'm glad to say, I can thank God that it is true in so many ways. That, that we can say, uh, thank you, God, for the faith at the Evangelical Free Church of Mount Morris the, that, that shines uh, through its people in, in so many uh, neighborhoods and, and school classrooms and workplaces, uh, that, that uh, shines through our students at universities scattered throughout the Midwest or through our missionaries that are at work around the world. To God be the glory. Yeah? I mean, if anything good is going to happen, it's going to be through him. If anything good is, is it, no, it has happened, it's from him. And Paul, uh, verse 9, Paul continues to tell the Romans how he is praying to God for them. He says, for God is my witness. We'll come back to that uh, phrase in just a moment. Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Now, okay, Paul, I think you've, you've already made this abundantly clear. You know, back in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, yeah, yeah, Paul is not giving us any new information this morning about his calling and his mission, but he's, he's repeating it. He's drilling down on this reality. I serve God's agenda, not mine. This is God's gospel, not mine. It's God's mission, not mine. It's only Paul's in any sense of the word because of God's calling on his life. This is the God-centered heart of the missionary. And you may not be called to, to travel the world to do some kind of cross-cultural 
uh, ministry, but do we not serve the same God? Uh, do we not serve the same gospel agenda? You, may, you might not have been commissioned by any sending church or, or sent by some missions agency to reach the heathen of northern Illinois, but what are we here for? Really, what are we here for? Here as opposed to somewhere else. Uh, you might be here because, well, this is where you grew up, or this is where your family uh, is, or this is where your job brought you. But what are we here for in, in, from a God-centered perspective on the world? Why does God have us here in this time, in this place, for this moment? Your Creator puts you on earth to honor Him in your family and work. Your, your Redeemer has covered your sin to restore you to fellowship with God, and and has he not put us here to extend that life, that fellowship to more and more people? That's, yes, the answer is. And that's the heart of the missionary. That's, it, it is God, and it is God-centered. When Paul said uh, earlier, God is my witness, that, I, that I'm always praying for you. It could sound like a throwaway line, like, hey, I, I swear to God, I've been praying for you. Uh, but but hear this from a radically God-centered man. God knows all things. He knows my heart for you. He alone verifies and validates my ministry. And as Paul goes into verse 10, I'm submitting to his, to his will for my plans to see you. I want to get to Rome, but I don't know yet if that's what God wants at this time. I have plans, but ultimately, uh, my life runs according to his purpose. Are, are you, you and I, as God-centered when it comes to, to our life, to our ministry? We talked about this on the, the Sunday after Christmas uh, from the Proverbs, wise words for making plans. You can go back and, and listen to that uh, sermon online. It's, it's not wrong, we said, to ask God to, to bless our plans, to bring our plans about, to bring our plans to fruition. Um, but we can't just assume that God is going to uh, go along with our plans. No, we're, we are to go along with his plans. And it's, it's wrong to expect God to serve our agenda contrary to his. Of course, here Paul is not asking anything bad or with wrong motives, uh, but that doesn't make God's answer an automatic yes. You can be as sincere. You can ask for things that, that God would presumably want, but it doesn't make that God's answer an automatic yes. God may have other plans. He may have different plans, plans that seem to make no sense in the short run and yet will work together for good. We'll see that later in this letter. Uh, plans that work together in the long run for his good, good purpose. So let's make plans. Make big plans. Make, make bold plans plans, plans for life, for family, for career, for ministry. Let's, let's press into, uh, let's, let's plan to press into spreading the gospel, reaching more people in, in Mount Morris and beyond. Let's, let's pray for revival in our nation. Let's, let's pray that there would be a movement of the gospel around the world, a greater harvest uh, among all nations this year, and trust God with the outcome. When it, doesn't, when it doesn't maybe play out uh, as we plan. We can say, God, this is what we want. And there are some things that we should, and when we, the things that we should want, we should bring to him. But we also say, but your will be done. Like Jesus, your 
will be done. What you want, God, is what we want, ultimately. So to, to thank God is to say, anything good that has happened has come from you. To ask God is to say, anything that's good that's going to happen will have to come from you. To trust God is to say, we're good with whatever happens when we're trusting that it's from you. That is a God-centered view of ministry. We look to God in all our prayers and plans for the advance of the gospel. This is the passion that Paul has that he wants the Roman believers to share and us as well. So let's look at another dimension uh, to his ministry. Not only is Paul God-centered, he is also, part two, people-oriented. People-oriented. We long to help all kinds of people come to faith and grow in faith. We long to help all kinds of people come to faith and grow in faith. So we've seen Paul's attention to the Romans in the verses we've covered already to these people. I mean, he said, uh, I, I thank God for all of you, for your faith. I, I'm mentioning you always. I'm, I want, I'm asking that I may at last come to you. Paul is God-centered and he's people-oriented. He isn't on some private spiritual quest to serve God in a monastery shut off from the world. The people are the mission. And he's engaging them through this letter. So we've seen that already in verses 8 to 10. Let's read 11 through 15 again and see that here. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Something unusual in this letter uh, that we have from Paul, compared to others that we have uh, in the New Testament, is that uh, the church in Rome was not started, not planted, uh, by Paul through his ministry as a missionary, as compared to, say, uh, Corinthians or the Galatians, the Ephesians, and so on. Those were churches that Paul had, uh, cities that Paul had traveled to, uh, or regions that he had, had traveled to, uh, evangelized, preached the gospel, formed uh, those believers into a group, uh, uh, set leadership over them, uh, made sure that they were uh, adequately discipled, and would move on to another city. Um, Rome here, the only record of, that we have in Scripture, the book of Acts, of uh, Paul visiting Rome was as a prisoner. And, and in this letter, he writes as someone who has never been there before. There's already a church there, already a group of believers. Paul has not been there. So you might ask, well, who first brought the gospel to Rome? Uh, well, we don't actually know. Uh, we, could do, we could study and speculate and make our best guess. Scholars do that. Commentaries uh, that I have talk about that. It can be an interesting uh, question to consider. But what we're here to do this morning is to study what this letter says and its implications for us. This is God's word from the pen of Paul. And, and one thing worth noticing here is that Paul sees his gospel ministry as both reaching the lost and strengthening the church. His gospel ministry is both reaching the lost and strengthening the believers. In other words, the good news that redeems a person uh, living in rebellion against God is also the, the truth 
the wisdom, the guidance to strengthen a believer for faithful service, for living life as a follower of Jesus. He, uh, Paul here says, he, he mentions he wants to, to give them, impart to them a, a spiritual gift. And it seems that he is explaining what he means by that as the, the uh, phrase goes on, that, uh, that we would be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. Now, we'll get to talk more, uh, more specifically about spiritual gifts when Paul addresses that topic in chapter 12. And I know that's a long, long way from now, but we'll get there, I promise, uh, this year as the Lord wills. What I want to focus on now here, though, is how Paul sees his visit as an opportunity for mutual encouragement by each other's faith. And in some sense, that is the spiritual gift he's talking about in, at this time. Um, now, this is just one more reason in a world that is increasingly virtual, uh, increasingly disconnected from human relationship. You can go to the, you can pump your gas and never deal with a human. You can go through Walmart and you can never have to talk to a human being. And some of you like that a lot. Um, and, and I agree that it's often quite convenient. And yet, as it happens more and more, more and more of our world is digitized. More and more of our, our world is mediated through uh, touch screens and less and less by connecting and looking other people in the eye and talking and, and just engaging human beings. It's just one more reason that we are committed to gathering as a church, as a fellowship, a church as an assembly uh, at, to in-person gatherings. Right? There, there may be times of crisis that we're not able to meet, whether that's a, a snowstorm, ice storm, uh, whether you're traveling on vacation or we've got a pandemic going on, this one or the next one. But here's the deal. We've got, we, we're committed, the, the, our baseline commitment is that we need to be together. Going to church is not, not some arcane rule or, or some uh, old, just old tradition uh, before people came up with you know, FaceTime. Now, now, thank God that we've been able to live stream our services. We're grateful for the technology that allows us to reach people who are homesick or just for whatever reason can't get out. We're, we're happy to be able to connect to you as best we can. But the, the need that we have to be together, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, and part of that is, has to happen through our presence I mean, that's what Paul thought. I mean, yes, yes, he sent them a letter, but he said, I got it. I want to get to you and so that I can impart to you a spiritual gift that we can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. When I come to be with you, that's why we gather on Sundays. That's why we encourage you to get involved in a, a small group if you can. Our, uh, our, our groups are uh, resuming in a few weeks with some spots open. There's also ongoing groups that uh, men's group on Saturday morning, other prayer meetings. Uh, talk to me if you'd like to get connected into one of those uh, groups and one of those ministries. It's, it's why we're planning next week's service to include personal testimonies, sharing stories of faith, how, how God first brought you to faith, how God's grown your faith, how by faith God has sustained you in trial. And if you say, well, you know, I'm too, too embarrassed to share my story. Well, you know, that's okay. We don't want to put the spotlight on you. We want you to tell your story so we can put the spotlight on God, so we can exalt Jesus for what he's done in your life. Um, you're like, oh, I, I can't share my story. You know, there's too much of my life is still, still a mess. Well, oh, that's fair. 
I, I get that, but if you, if you have seen God at work in your life, can we celebrate how far God has brought you? Can, how far you've come? And can we, and then maybe encourage us to, to pray for you more, to mutually encourage you by each other's faith as, you, as we all keep going forward wherever we're at, still in process. We're all still in process, folks. Um, if we can encourage each other in our faith, that's the beauty of, of the way that God wants to help keep us going, help keep us growing. Because there, there are people uh, seated in here as well. If you feel like, well, I, you know, God's at work in my life, but I don't know if I can talk about it. Well, there are other people here whose faith is weak right now, who are discouraged, maybe feeling like they can't go on. Maybe they're, they're about to give up. And maybe God wants to use your faith to encourage their faith. And, when, and here's the thing. When your faith encourages someone else's faith, your faith is encouraged too, Right? Yeah, that's just how it works. And to some degree, I believe, I believe you can encourage one another in your faith just by being here, just by your presence. Uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of encouragement just in that. So I encourage you to, to be here for your own soul and for the sake of others. Like, hey, we're in this together. But yes, just being here. But, but there's something about speaking, something about saying something. Uh, but whether that's sharing a need or sharing a victory, sharing a blessing, uh, to pray, say, I'm, I'll pray for you, praying with them uh, in, the, in the moment, exhorting them, encouraging them to keep going, to give witness to the gospel, to testify to God's grace in your life. That's how the heart of the missionary is people-oriented toward believers. Uh, but, but he also wants to reach other people too, reach the unreached. So in verses 13 to 15 especially, he puts these believers in the context of their city, Rome, the, the great capital of the empire at that time. He says, I want to reap a harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. That's just a, Gentiles, just a generic term for basically non-Jews. And, and of course, Paul is a Jew and he's operating out of a Jewish context. Uh, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But he says, verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. And here, Greeks is not so much in contrast with the Romans. Even today, you'll hear historians talk about Greco-Roman culture. The contrast is between the civilized, the Greeks, the Romans. I mean, they've got the the fantastic civilization, right? Uh, And the uncivilized, the barbarians, people out in the hinterlands, uh, Paul wants to reach the, the educated, the sophisticated, the urban elites, the, those in the centers of power, and he wants to reach the people out in the boonies. He wants to reach the blue-collar workers and the rednecks. He's, he says he's under, under obligation to them all. That word translated as under obligation is, is literally a debtor. He sees himself as a debtor. Now, you could say, well, that's... That's interesting because we understand that Paul, uh, in some sense, owes his allegiance to God, right? As his creator, as his redeemer. Uh, he says, God, Christ is, is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Um, I'm just his servant. He owes his obedience, his allegiance to God, to Jesus, but he is also indebted to people. Paul says, I, I've been entrusted by God with the treasure of the gospel. And if I fail to take the gospel to the people who need it, it's like I'm robbing them. It's like I'm, ta- I'm keeping from them 
what, what is owed to them. That's who the gospel was intended for. God gave this to me to give to them. If, if, I, if we, you know, boys were in school and you're, they've got a birthday and you, you're, I'm going to send, or Katie's going to send a box of cupcakes for the whole class. And somehow on the bus ride, they, you know, they eat all the cupcakes on the way to school, which like, in some sense, yes, you've failed your, your, what you've been entrusted with, your stewardship, but you've robbed all those kids. Like he, he owed, those were owed to those kids. He was a debtor to those fellow students. That's what Paul's is as a missionary. I've got the gospel and if I don't give it to people, the people that God wants to have it, I, I owe that to them. He feels this obligation. Do we share Paul's passion, this heart of the ministry, this sense of obligation? Does it, does it bother us to know that there are people unreached by the gospel right here in this little town, in Mount Morris, in Oregon, Byron, Leaf River, Polo, Dixon. And it shouldn't matter to us if they're white or black or Latino, male, female, young, old, rich, poor, employed, unemployed, Democrat, Republican, labor, management, from an intact family, a broken home, whether they have a great reputation or a criminal record. The fact is we're obligated to all people. God has given us what he intends for them to receive, do we feel our obligation to God, our obligation to them? I was encouraged this week by a story from um, our fellowship of churches through the Evangelical Free Church of America. There's an EFCA pastor in Houston who happens to be um, a veteran of the army. He served uh, in Afghanistan. And then now, as there are uh, thousands of Afghan refugees that have uh, come to the United States since our withdrawal. He's this uh, army veteran pastor is leading a, uh, a movement, a project to reach those thousands of Afghan refugees in the U.S. with the gospel. Now, as Americans, we could have all different kinds of opinions about immigration and how many refugees should we, should, should we take or not, but here's the deal. They're here, and they need the gospel, and this man says, we've got to give it to them. We've got to reach these folks too, not just like, hey, you're not American, or hey, you're not, you're not supposed to be here, but hey, you're here, and you, need, and you don't know Jesus? Let's tell you. Let's tell you about him. Let's, let's make him known to you. We've got to get the gospel to these people because we owe it to them, to everyone. This is the people-oriented heart of the missionary. We long to help all kinds of people come to faith and grow in faith. And now I love what Paul does going from verse 14 to 15, after he basically says, I have to preach the gospel to everyone, he, he, he turns like, hey, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not dragging my feet here like, well, I guess we have to tell the, preach the gospel to everybody, to everybody, like them or not, uh, whether we feel you know, a special affinity with them or not. No, he says, I'm eager to evangelize. I, I, I wanna, and he goes on in, in verses 16 and 17 to the big reason why he is so eager. So verse 15 so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the right in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous, righteous shall live by faith. This is 
Part three, gospel-driven. We love to make known the message that God saves all who trust in him. Many scholars and preachers point to these last two verses, 16 and 17, as something of a thesis statement for the rest of the letter. And it's true. I could preach a whole sermon easily uh, from these uh, two verses. But Paul is going to unpack this in much greater detail over the next several chapters. So uh, I think it'll be okay for me to handle this briefly for now. And, and we'll, we'll take this kind of leaning on this aspect of, of how this reveals Paul's heart, Paul's passion, Paul's drive uh, in the gospel. What, what is it about the gospel that makes Paul so eager to preach it? Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Or to put it positively, why does he glory in the gospel? Because the gospel, he says, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That, that, that's put that on a banner. That's a big deal. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The promised king, God's own son, sent to restore God's reign over a world in rebellion. This Jesus, who could have come simply to condemn the world, came to sacrifice himself in order to save the world. This is salvation that's being talked about here. More specifically, to save all those who would put their trust in him. Turning from sin to Christ. Responding to God with the, the phrase that Paul used earlier in the letter, with the obedience of faith. Paul has said already that his ministry is not limited, not targeted to a, a certain demographic, to certain kinds of people. He's saying like everyone needs the gospel. All kinds of people. And he comes saying, uh, if, if this is everyone, he, he adds then another point of, of possible differentiation. I mentioned this already, the difference between Jew and Gentile, or here, Jew and Greek. Same, same thing he's talking about. And, he, and the difference here is not so much about, I mean, it includes, of course, language and, and culture and history and tradition and, and social status. It includes all those things, but, but the, the primary differentiation, the, the the, the tension here between these two groups is that the, the Jews, of course, had the understanding through God's word that they were God's special people, God's covenant people. They were the ones to whom Messiah came. They were the ones to whom the promises had been given. Or, if we could put it a little differently, is Israel better understood as both the ones to whom Messiah came and through whom Messiah came, to whom the promises have been given, and through whom the promises have been given to the world. Their Messiah coming, the Messiah coming through Israel to the world, the promises coming through Israel to the world, the blessings coming to Abraham and his seed to the world. Through, we'll, we'll explore that much more in this letter as well. That's, he's got to explain that because that's like, oh, I'm not, sure if I, I'm not sure I'm tracking with you, Paul. I'm not sure I understand you, Paul. I'm not sure I agree with you. Well, he's going to explain that much more as we go through. But here's the thing. If the good news of God, is God's power to save for everyone who believes, not just the Jew, but the Gentile. To the Jew first, yes, maybe uh, historically, um, yes, maybe uh, in priority in terms of Paul's mission. Yes, sometimes even in strategy, you'll see Paul and he goes to a new city and he goes and he first talks, 
he first goes to the synagogue, first proclaims the gospel to the Jews. It's in some sense, first, historically, strategically, to the Jews, but it is also, it's a both and. It's to the Gentile, it's to the Greek, to the Romans, to the Americans as well. To the Russians, Zambians, whoever else you want to list as well, Koreans. Uh, it's to all. So if the good news is God's power to save for everyone who believes, why would we hesitate to share this good news? Why are we slow to talk about Jesus? We don't believe the, the basic message uh, that God has for humanity is something like uh, God, God saying to, to you, uh, only you have the power to fix what's wrong in your life. Uh, get your, so, so get your act together, um, you know, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get 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 it going, because uh, and maybe if you can make up for all the wrongs that you have done, somehow tip the scales to sort of outweigh all your bad deeds with with a little bit more good deeds, then maybe I'll say, hmm, okay, I won't condemn you. Is that the is that good news, folks? That's not good news. That's bad news. If 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 the power for salvation is rests and depends on us and our efforts and our abilities to fix ourselves. If you, I mean, frankly, if you focus, if you just focus on, uh, if I could get more good deeds than bad deeds, we, we, we think, oh, maybe, maybe I can do that. I don't know. Um, but if you can fix, but if we really understand the brokenness of our hearts, uh, not the pump, but you, you understand the, the, the things that we want, the things that we desire, the, the, the anger that, that simmers there the impatience, the pride, the greed, the lust, the sloth. You go down through the list of sins. The, all that stuff that's in there, I mean, there's not a lot of hope that there's no hope, folks, that we can, by our effort, create the kind of life that we need. But the good news is that is the power of God for salvation. He rescues. He forgives. He redeems, He restores, He transforms. Folks, that's good news. That's the power of God for salvation. He simply calls us to the obedience of faith, turning and trusting in Him. If the good news is the revelation, the revealing of God's righteousness that is now available to all who receive it by faith, so that we are no longer considered unrighteous in our sin, but declared righteous through the perfect sacrifice of Christ when we are one with Him by faith, and if, if this good news fulfills the promises of God through the prophets, not just to send Messiah, but to send salvation through him, in the words of Habakkuk that are the prophets that are quoted here, the righteous shall live by faith. More to come on all of this as we go through Romans. But here's the thing. If this is the good news, why, why would we be embarrassed, ashamed to talk about Jesus? Why, why would we be ashamed to claim that we are Christians, to bow your head in prayer, to come to church on Sunday, to tell a friend or a family member what they need to know to be saved? Well, usually, if we're honest, usually it's because we fear some sort of social consequences. Now, depending on, on the time in history or the place in the world, the social consequences for, for Christians have been significant. The loss of status, possessions, freedom, think being put in jail, or even loss of life. For us, 
sad, I have to admit, so we're, we're often silenced. I'm often silenced when we just don't want to think, we, won't, we just don't want people to think we're weird. So I just won't talk about religion, won't talk about God, Jesus. I mean, not, I'm not one of those weirdos. Just let that pass. Paul says in another letter, this is 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The question is, do we believe that? Are we convinced? Uh, Not, do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, and I'm going to ask him to forgive me and and take me to heaven when I die? Uh, Not not that. I I imagine if you're a Christian here, you say, yeah, I, I believe that. But the question here is, Do we believe that God has something better for us than anything that the world can take away? Does God have something for us in all that his promises for us as his people? Does God have something better for us than anything the world could possibly take away from us? That's what Paul believed. That's what Paul banked his life on. That's why he's willing to be a prisoner, why he's willing to suffer, and he called Timothy and us, to share that unashamed uh, view of the gospel. And, and as I said, I'm trying to put it positively, that we would, what if we, what if we gloried in the gospel? What if we said, I got something good. I got something amazing. I've got something that's, that's, that's incredible. You've you got to hear this. Part of what made Paul eager to preach the gospel was that he simply had a bigger view of the gospel than we do. And that drove him. He was gospel-driven. He saw the glory of God in the gospel, and he gloried in it. That's the gospel-driven heart of the missionary. Paul had it. We need it. We do not get to have the luxury of, of sitting back with our arms crossed and saying, well, that's a great presentation, Paul. Um, but, like, you know, like we're in Shark Tank. I'm out. I'm out. A people formed by the gospel should have the heart of a missionary. By God's grace, may we be a God-centered, people-oriented, gospel-driven church for the glory of God. Father, would you do this among us? We're praying right now, not because, well, it's the end of the service and that's what we're supposed to do and just sort of say a few words and mumble a few words and get, get done, wrap it up. We're praying right now because we're saying that anything good that you, that has happened in this church is from you and we thank you for that. We thank you that the, the gospel light has not gone out in this place. And we're also praying to you right now because if there's going to be anything good that comes from going forward from this church, 
It's going to have to come from you. So we're thanking you and we're asking you for more. And we're trusting you for your will. That, that, that whatever we plan, whatever we want, it, it, we're, we're trusting that, as, that you guide us, that you'll take us where you want us to go. But God, make us this kind of people. Give us this kind of passion, this kind of heart that, that Paul had. May we, down centuries, millennia later, may we join him in this great work that's still going and will go until Jesus comes. And God, can we ask, we are asking for a greater harvest, a greater harvest for the gospel. We would see more people come to the obedience of faith for the sake of of your name among all the nations, including right here in Mount Morris in the Sauk Valley. We're asking, glorify your name through your good news, the gospel of your son. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.